Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open, Pete. I want you to turn his ship around, point it at Earth, and push play. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 107, Nepenthe, comes to you now via chewable, triangular, glowing tracking device. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Pete, good news! One obscure website has news that Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for two seasons. Tell me more, like when CBS confirmed it. Yeah, uh, they haven't. And we need to calm down a little bit, both on the positive side and on the negative side. We've talked enough about the negativity that people have attempted to heap onto this show. We're going to push that to the side for a second. And, and the Star Trek universe in general. Let's talk about the over-enthusiasm that leads to its own set of problems. So you're referring to a report by... Uh, an exclusive report by a website um, that is not credible, that does not have a history of confirming exclusive reports, and the report that Star Trek Discovery, that we're still waiting on a date for a third season premiere, and I imagine we're going to get that very, very soon, um, has been renewed not only for season four, but season five, which will be shot all back to back. Um, it's not true. It's not confirmed. Please stop sharing it on social media. Please check your sources better. Trust us. Trust me as a former full-time journalist. I have vetted this. I have reached out to sources. It is definitively untrue. And when you share it, you add to the misinformation that is out there. And I would say too, in terms of expectations, if CBS comes out tomorrow and says, uh, here's the, the date for uh, discovery season three, and we're going to start filming season four in July, no news of season five. Then all of a sudden now you're saying, wait, what went happened? What's wrong? What's going And expectations now get, get lowered as opposed Correct. to, you know, as opposed to taking it one season at a time, particularly in an age, and I mean, nothing but love for Discovery, but... We all want it to be true. There, There is no denying that. But when you're putting credence in this, okay, I'm not saying that the two seasons could be renewed ahead of time or shot back to back. Given the demands in particular of this cast, I mean, they just shot for eight or nine months on season three. To think they would go into, let's let's round down, maybe they're somehow able to cram that into a 16-month production schedule to shoot two seasons, okay? That's a lot of time that they're taken out, potentially, of other projects. And they do have other irons in the fire, okay? Uh, Doug Jones is ridiculously busy um yeah to think that suddenly that's going to be the case i i think we need again to stop and take a breath on top of the fact that uh hollywood like every other industry right now is looking at emergency plans in the age of a coronavirus outbreak add to that that the writers guild 
uh, contract runs out in May. So in my mind, it would be look, and I want I want Discovery renewed for two seasons as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, side note, one could make the argument that maybe, a la Agents of Shield, you renew for two seasons back to back. That could be because after that, as soon as we're done, adios, shows over, shows canceled. Right. Um, but I'll, you know. I'll take I'll take as many renewals as possible one step at a time. But looking down the barrel of a writer's guild potential writer's guild strike this summer, what are you gonna do? Lock off two seasons worth of scripts? Like from a financial point of view, from a business in show business point of view, you got this season three uh taken care of. Heck, if I'm over at, you know, the Picard office, crank through as many of those scripts as possible now, you know, if they're going to start filming right. relatively soon. Get And if they're going to be doing two seasons back-to-back there, have those 20 scripts looking perfect. So if you lose every writer in May, be feel that you're in a good spot with those scripts. Uh, again, not knowing is it going to be a five-day strike, a five-month strike, you know, whatever it might be. But Discovery is not in a position to have... 20 plus 25 scripts written and ready to go and in a good place where you couldn't we could make them strike proof so just again all of this suggests even though it's happy news that got shared what's being shared is uh shall we say pete a false narrative because i won't say fake news (laughs) um add to the mix here that section 31 is due to go before cameras in may um so it's a ridiculous amount of pre and actual production that we're talking about so again take a breath be calm we want the enthusiasm we want it to happen but we don't want to give that false sense of hope that as uh matt so sagely put creates this uh false expectation so hey just be solid with what you're sharing and put a little bit of uh, effort into looking at where is this coming from? Uh, I don't know these people and they have no track record. I'm not going to share it. With that, let's head into our mission briefing. Waves crash on the shore of Okinawa over the strains of a Cassilian opera singer as Dr. Girardi eats her lunch outside the Daystrom Institute when Commander O snuck up on her three weeks ago. And we are treated to the rest of that scene in which O knows all about Girardi's meeting with Picard and that she transferred 300 gigabytes of material about Dr. Bruce Maddox to her pad. I wonder if this whole thing was shot back several episodes ago, perhaps with the intention of not having to reveal, because I think it works fantastically as a mystery. You know, what is it that propels Agnes and all that? But do you shoot it all then? Do you bring everybody back? I, I have no idea. I suspect maybe they shot it then, but who knows? Um, there's this underlying notion in the first half of the scene that Agnes is somehow in trouble. However, it does get laid out that all she's been doing is not much of a smoking gun. No, no. Agnes is needed to help fight the threat of synthetic life. Uh, Commodore O initiates a mind meld. Uh, showing Without consent, which is super interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and something worth digging into in our theories segment. Uh, I'm still not letting go of O as a Romulan. I must confess, Pete, I don't know what the Romulan intersection is with mind melds, but come on, these are cousin species. Uh, I'm holding on hope. Um, 
But O shows apparently a worst-case scenario of interplanetary destruction. A couple of shots stolen from Star Trek Discovery. No, no, it's not part of a larger crossover, at least I don't think. Um, Agnes throws up first of two vomitses in this episode, says she's ready to help. Pete, that's when she's given a blue shiny piece of gum. Chew it, and they'll be able to track her and be prepared to sacrifice. Yeah, uh, it's a portentous vision. We're going to dig very specifically into it uh, during that aforementioned theories segment, but basically setting up a horrible possibility, hence asking this sacrifice, which she undertakes. In the present, the La Serena struggles to break free of a green tractor beam, could be Borg, could be Romulan. It, it's all connected at this point, Matt, if I may use a phrase from that other universe that we podcast all the time. Rios blames Raffi for their situation with Picard now days away, clear for the episode, not going to be getting to him for a little while. Okay. Raffi tries to hack traffic control, but the underlying code is all freaky Borg machine language. And this is where the scene from before with Gerardi has resonance. She suggests they just ask the Romulans to let them go home. And Raffi hacking the cube, there is some, uh, she does see some images. Yes. You know, so, uh, of, of it, is it XB uh, rando crazy drawings? Yes. Is it, you know, is it Borg stuff? You know, whatever it is, I think. Uh, insertly uh, inserted expertly rather uh, perhaps for for future chewing over um, but Pete we go watch this we go from outside the board cube to inside the board cube <laughs> where XBs are lined up Hugh is there he's not going to be talking one by one the XBs are shot under Narissa's order still he's not talking uh, ultimately all the XBs get shot cut to uh, Narek hopping into a Romulan speedy guy craft. Pete, that's a shout out for Fred. Uh, and then back to the weeping Hugh. Narissa places the blame of those XBs squarely on Hugh, saying interestingly that he has ruined uh, the work of years of operatives that have uh, have done things for decades across many worlds, uh, suggesting this larger conspiracy. Uh, Narissa also name drops the treaty which protects Federation citizens like Hugh. Pete, this is now the second time it's been mentioned. I'm sure we're okay. There's no rule of three. Uh, The third time it gets brought up, he won't be violating the treaty in any way. He's totally safe. Yeah, totally, totally safe. But here we have the stakes. So these dozens of operatives across hundreds of star systems, possibly dooming a trillion souls across half the galaxy. Have we determined a worthy enough mission to put Picard back in the game yet? The answer is yes. And obviously, uh, Hugh, and, you know, shout out to Jonathan Del Arco in this episode, in his swan song as the character. And we'll talk in particular about what this means as the episode goes on. But uh, to to give him this scene, to uh, heap this grief upon him being the voice for the voiceless 
the director of the Borg Reclamation Project, and Narissa interrogating him, uh, particularly about having abs- accessed subsector 11, whatever went on there, um, because that's not a, a, a pin for later uh, story uh, unfolding. But wait, Matt, over on the La Serena, where's the kid? Where is the kid indeed? And this at a moment where uh, some things have happened simultaneously. We know, however, the crew of the La Serena does not know that their release from the tractor beam has been concurrent to Narek's speedy guy ship being launched. Uh, So we know that the game's afoot and they could zoom on out of there. Um, But as you said, where's the kid? With that, Pete, cut to the kid, uh, Elnor, who meets up with you. Uh, he communicates over to La Serena that he's ready to stay, even after Rios calls him hermano, brother. And even though the all-access captions apparently don't know that there is a Spanish language <laughs> and write it as, mono. hey, mono, um, <laughs> which is borderline offensive because, yeah. hello, Rios is the guy who, you know... I, when he was first introduced, maybe we wagged our finger a little bit that it was like, are you totally clear that he's a Spaniard because he does all these things? I think it feeds the Rios as a hologram theory. But regardless, it's like, come on there. He's representing Hispanic culture there. He's throwing in, you know, Spanish words here and there and all access doesn't know hermano. But I digress, Pete. They sadly say goodbye to Elnor for totally forever. We're probably going to have to say goodbye to him before the end of the episode. That's it. No more Elnor. It's all goodbye. He's never going to be on this crew again as La Serena warps away, followed by Narek. Crazy and brave. After the title card on the tranquil world of Nepenthe, talk about that name in a little bit, a bunny rabbit lolls about peacefully, by a waterfall as Picard and Soji arrive courtesy the Borg uh, assimilated spatial trajector. Yes, and they're met by by a young lass with a bow and arrow. It's Kestra. Picard identifies her as such, suggesting he knows who she is. And uh, he would like to see her mom and dad uh, because, Pete, let's not forget, Jean-Luc Picard is terribly British. Um, there's some expositional recap in fact pete let me pause right here and just say okay i I liked the nostalgia of this episode i i'm going to be pointing out with star trek love in my duritanium heart i'm going to be mentioning how there's a number of scenes in this episode that seem to function solely in order to recap what has gone on uh or in a few cases to recap where the characters are headed uh, if that is can be recapable you know to say i my plan is to go over there i know pete what it's like to listen to a podcast about a show that you love and have them dump on it and i'm not here to dump on the fact that the show is doing this i just want to be honest and point out that it does it a whole lot and i think wants to get away with it because look it's Riker and troy and look over there and despite the fact that there's some lazy moments like Soji giving expositional recap about not believing in anyone, uh, then Kester showing her Chekhov's compass, uh, acting as Chekhov's gun, not actually from Officer Chekhov, uh, and then Soji still recapping how she is a fake inside and out, and Picard giving expositional recap that Dodge was real, that part was real, oh, your sister's dead. Yeah, and in the course of watching, 
watching the episode, I do feel that it's necessary because there are characters that are unaware of certain things. But what it does is it recaps for the audience as much as it recaps for the first time that or those characters to help them understand here. And you mentioned Chekhov. Let's mention that that compass from Kestra's friend, Captain Crandall, conspicuously mentioned a couple times throughout. You know, the one over at Infinity Lake. He's even older than Picard. Yeah, feels like tons of setup for something. Um, what are you trying be. to say, Mon Capitan? <laughs> uh, I, I think we're going to have a even Pete and I could be walking into like, oh, it was in the preview. I don't watch the previews. I don't know. But come on, we're going to meet Captain Crandall at some point. It's going to be uh, either um, a Star Trek family member. You know, I'm thinking you're, you're Seth MacFarlane's type. Uh, I know he's on that other Star Trek show, uh, but you know, somebody in heavy makeup or it's going to be like, oh, wow, I can't believe, whatever it's going to be. They're setting up Captain Crandall to be a, a nice warm and fuzzy moment. But Pete, let's go to Universal City, California. Okay, let's go to that big back lot across from the big lake uh, backdrop shown at the end of Truman Show and other things. Pete, I'm talking about the house from that 1980s classic, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, The Great Outdoors. Is that the house? That is 100% the house. And if you, Oh, my I, gosh. It's, I mean, it's, it's on the back lot tour. As soon as I saw it, I was just taken back to... I had no idea that was a, um, a, a, a fixed location. The, holy moly, that they used it here. I, I'm a sucker for the log cabin. Um, and... This completely worked for me in the quaintness of the the conceit of the episode, okay, that they've moved to this planet, that there was a particular reason why, given the, uh, you know, the biology of it, et cetera, et cetera. And wow, uh, you just blew my mind. Deanna Troy walks out, seeing Picard. They embrace. Uh, he says there's bad trouble that he's uh, that he's coming from, uh, but it's not of the personal type. Which I will say, Pete, of all the kind of expositional recap and and reframing, this one I appreciated because I think it's easy to lose track of the fact that he does have this ticking clock of his health situation um, and to what degree are his. Uh, Enterprise, uh, you know, family members aware of it. Clearly she is. I mean, there's the sadness on her face when he says bad trouble. Oh, no, it's not me. It's something else. Right. Uh, and a super effective moment there. The introduction made to Soji and then Kestra calls for her father, Will Riker, who is shredding cheese in the kitchen to jazz in maybe the most Riker-esque um introduction reintroduction ever the only complaint i have about this episode is that he did not at one point saddle up to a chair by uh shooting a leg over it uh maybe whilst holding a trombone i don't know one <laughs> one can hope let's get the let's get the one shot uh the one shot part there i'm, I'm using would, it would have been uh you know really unsanitary to do that over by the pizza oven i guess uh, true, but l let's get the let's get the short trek where it's Riker, Troy, and Kestra. Um, oh God, that would be awesome. It could be like not that they know that they're in a cooking show, but the the script could essentially be 
how to make pizza with the with the Riker Troys. No, here here let's convene the writers room right now, Matt. It is a lost thad language recipe cooking show episode. Put me in the room. Perfect. Um we get that warm embrace between Riker and Picard. Uh just a, you know, as genuine a moment as 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 there could be. Um Riker can tell the Picard is in trouble. The house's shields are put up. Scanners to Max. Pete, it's Riker giving orders. Um, and Deanna updates Will. Soji appears to be human, appears flustered, but she senses nothing. Um, which also, Pete, I had not, I guess, fully thought through that anybody who's a telepath would 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 sense nothing from Soji. Um, bottom line is Picard needs a new plan and he needs a little nappy nap. Yeah, and I love the catch-up between Riker and Picard here that uh, he told him when the great Romulan rescue mission was being initiated. uh, First, he asked him, do you want to be ass-deep in Romulans for the rest of your life? And that Picard says the line, Sir Patrick uh, saying this, just dignifying that phrase alone. And then Newton's fourth law of thermodynamics, that no good deed goes unpunished. Kestra has taken Soji to the shower here. They're working on dinner. And that's where uh, Soji and Kestra uh, talk. Kestra peppering her with questions about things Data did, like playing the violin and a love of Sherlock Holmes. She has his strength though uh and she has mucus indeed she does we get more expositional recap about how data always wanted to be more human telling those jokes ballroom dancing so maybe that's why soji is more human than her father was uh we have i suppose concurrent to this maybe even if you want to say the scenes edited slightly out of order for emotional effect but deanna brings picard to thad's room uh, Thad, uh, absent, uh, notably, we're going to find out in this scene why, uh, they talk about the fake Vivian language and invented language. Uh, Thad had made one once too. Here we get, uh, Deanna sadly saying that Thad would have been 18 last week. Kestra still aches for him, but it fades a bit each day. That gives their mother a different ache. All of that, just a uh, a chilling and fantastic bit of writing that is so expertly uh, performed there by Marina Sirtis. The photograph of Picard holding uh, Thad uh, Thaddeus Troy Riker, as seen on a uh, an award in the uh, in the room there. The first time they ever met. The second time, the the languages and and everything there. A little bit of build up for later on. Uh, suddenly whisk us off again to La Serena, where the alarm is sounding that a ship is tailing them just at or beyond the limits of their scanners. And this would be a really good, uh, you know, use of spaceship technology. The ship is right behind them. We can see the ship behind them. It's almost like they can't look out the back and see the ship behind them. Yeah, I I suspect that that was probably an incongruity between what the special effects 
yeah. people, how the special effects people understood that scene and how the dialogue actually was. Uh, maybe they, it might have even been a difference in um, how the, the special effects supervisor, you know, interpreted it like, you know, we, we got to show the two ships so the one is trailing the other and maybe just flat out missing the dialogue that it's way, way behind. I will mention, Pete, as a side note, the the notion that this uh, Romulan ship is likely to be a snakehead. Uh, a, that's cool wording. B, uh, my Google Docs spell checker changed it to sneakerhead, which of course is what one calls a, a big fan of sneakers, you know, going to the conventions, paying cash for those vintage Jordans, etc. And now I just have this mental image of Narek, you know, when he's not killing people and trying to stop the robot threat, he's going to, to sneaker con and he's like, Oh, you have Jordan 380s? I have, you know. And and he's just walking out of there like, yes, full on compression padding and air pockets. Is um, he playing with a another form of Romulan Rubik's Cube as he's cutting deals for vintage Jordans? Uh Pete, let me put it this way. I am unsurprised to see Narek using a magnetic futuristic fidget spinner, because something tells me he has trouble just sitting still. Um, however, on La Serena, the plan is for them to throw him by quickly going to warp and then stopping and hoping he's going to overshoot. Maybe we've seen a whole bunch of sensor examples from 50 years of Star Trek why that wouldn't easily as work as easily as they show it, but eh, no harm, no foul. Um, here's why, Pete. The real meat of the scene is Agnes, guilt-ridden but hiding it suggests that maybe they they don't have some sort of plucky plan like hide and tell the comet instead find a gormagander uh maybe they just give up on the mission and don't go to nepenthe pete she's looking for an out she's looking to stop betraying uh her comrades here on the ship but she doesn't know how to do it yes and another discovery tie-in there with the the gormagander the space whale seen in the excellent ted sullivan scripted uh, Harry Mudd episode from season one. Um, do they really want to go to Nepenthe? Putting that doubt in there. Okay. Uh, and Raffi coming at her as only Michelle Hurd can hear. You know, all that excitement leaving Earth a couple weeks ago, uh, meeting this synth. Um, but she says that Picard, Gerardi does can fend for himself and somebody else can find that effing synth. Words she is programmed to kill it. Um, Agnes is going to step aside for some cake. Okay. We all have those moments, Pete. Uh, from cake to the Riker pizza oven. Okay. This is very uh, clearly a food themed episode. Uh, we have Riker. We have Picard reflecting on the keeping of secrets uh we have soji and uh, kestra walk by sharing the fake language uh riker notes that soji read that uh that uh dictionary in two minutes and has the head bob so he knows that she's data's daughter uh, and riker's going to speculate further here cloaks fear of cloaks suggests romulans the the uh greater fear suggests how she are soji's the one on the run clearly an android with data dna this is secret keeping is classic picard arrogance with the secrets staying with the captain however uh dealing with a teenager is a completely different challenge something that uh, picard is maybe not ready to do 
this is the meat of this episode, uh, not the bunny corn sausage. And the nature of the first officer role in Star Trek is rarely, if ever, to shine. And we know that from later in the episode, Riker's still active reserve put a pin in that. And two, when we saw him at the end of Nemesis, he was leaving with Troy. He was getting his own command. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll get some information what happened on that other than having a child on a spaceship, which is all we got in this episode. But Jonathan Frakes truly shines in this. Uh, He talked quite a bit, you know, coming back up again with Sir Patrick on the screen. Uh, Marina Surtees had just finished a run in the West End. So here he's concerned He's coming off having directed two episodes of Picard, jumping back into this character after 18, 19 years and worried about the fastballs of his, uh, you know, scene partners here. And he absolutely brings it here. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, as is what's about to unfold in the next scene. Pete, let me set the scene because it's something I, something I want to return to in theories. We have Soji in the paradise-like garden staring into that fruit uh, or vegetable. It's a tomato about to bite into it. Uh, we'll save the larger connections for later. Literally, she's offered a tomato, a real tomato. Real is um, better. Or is what's it? that? Real is better. Or is it? <laughs> Pete, that's much of the thrust, the philosophical thrust of the scene here. Uh, Here, Deanna reflects on Thad, who had invented 11 or 12 languages. Pete, I count the uh, butterfly wing flap language. Can we we properly uh, name it? Plapla, indeed. Uh, He grew up on starships. He invented a homeworld for himself uh, and loved Nepenthe. They came there for his illness, which was mandaxic neurosclerosis, fixable with an active positronic matrix that of course impossible since there was that ban here troy becomes cold noting that real isn't always better tons of emotions in this scene uh we also got some expositional recap from soji about narek and his mind games but isn't troy doing the same thing being sensitive and caring and inquisitive and fake and it's now that picard comes over and uncharacteristically becomes sarcastic and that Soji pushes him out of the way he notes to Riker could have broken him in half. And I love how Surtees as Troy here calls him on the carpet that he needs to, uh, to be the Picard they are used to compassionate, patient, curious, treat their dinner table like the ready room of the enterprise in what becomes the second best scene in this episode is the fact that this scene requires somebody to give picard a finger wagging and that is given to marina sirtes is it coincidental that she also has spoken out against all access for which she's now receiving a paycheck or is it in line with the character uh, who's going to give the the, the the clinical assessment, regardless of friendship or rank. Pete, I leave it up to the listener to decide. Easy, Imzadi. 
<laughs> uh, Pete, is this where we talk about how some people complained that this is the first time ever that the word Imzadi has been used, and that's proof that Star Trek is decadent and ruinous, uh, courtesy of Alex Kurtzman? Because that's uh, a real thing, listeners, that people, yep. some people are upset that the word Imzadi, used in Encounter Farpoint, episode 101, uh, is... used in used in nemesis uh the, the the very same last time these two characters were seen uh it's a thing get the heck over it it's an entire peter david novel certainly one of the best maybe the one that i liked the best uh when i was but a lad in part because there was a description of Dina Troy being a maid of honor at a beta z wedding and uh pete i was in my early teens they're describing a beta z wedding where People don't wear clothing, and it was, let's just say, Pete, it was really evocative for me for me as a lad. But back to 2399 here. Um, let's focus on that Borg cube, Pete. Hugh is taking Elnor back to the Queen's cell here. Got Wait, the- Pete, I can't hear you. Say it louder in case any <laughs> Romulans are listening. Where is he headed? Subsector 11, Queen cell, no doubt. <gasps> he forgot the immense power hidden there maybe he was afraid he'd be tempted to use it uh he feels he's been a fool and failed all the xbs they're going to take the cube away from them forever and narissa having heard all of this clear treaty violation she is authorized to kill him now and elnor has brought his sword to disrupt a fight. Luckily, um, luckily, Nerissa has seen the ancient Earther classic Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, as it has been kind of weirdly retitled. Um, so they're able to have a sword and a gunfight. A cat and mouse firefight ensues, and uh, guards taken out by the blade. Uh, but Jat Vash doesn't fight Kilat Malau this way. So. That's when she throws down her her disruptor there. Hugh pops out just in time to watch as the two Romulans fist fight. But Pete, that's when she takes out two little blades, and one of which kind of hits Hugh in the side of the neck. Okay, fine, I know. That's probably where the carotid artery or the whatever vein is. And I know it's set up to him dying. But Pete, it's twenty three ninety nine. Can't a dude get a little nick to the side of his... Uh, neck without needing to be and exit stage right that's a series wrap i'm watching him get hit and i'm i I, clearly the most shocking point of this episode and i'm like all right he he got hit it's it's not mortal uh elnor throws the dagger back at narissa but she beams out and with his dying words much to our disbelief elnor is told by hugh he'll need an xb to activate the queen cell so wait that that's him right how's that for a lost cause maybe pete that's something that they use for future episodes because i feel like it's possible maybe this is just... where matt not watching the previews again just doesn't square up well uh, pete i'm listen i'm happy I'm bittersweet at the knowledge this might be curtains for Hugh, and I'm also smart enough to know that this is Star Trek, where I'm pretty sure there was an episode where a guy got a bigger blade through a more important part of his body, like Picard getting knifed by a Nausicaan through the back, through his heart, and Picard has been A-OK since then, um, aside from needing the heart being uh, upgraded at one time. So, fingers crossed here. Pete, I'm sad. 
you're sad, okay? Let's go to La Serena. Let's have some red velvet cake that, because of, I think, the color timing choices made by the cinematographer, it looks like outright chocolate. Now, I know red velvet no, cake No, 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 is- that other one was chocolate. She had previously fired down the red velvet, which okay. comes up. That, that makes me feel better. Um, she also gets some chocolate milk. Uh, Agnes cries and Raffi notes it must be so sad for Agnes to have lost Bruce. Uh, we, of course, understand the irony because the losing of Bruce having been done at Agnes's you know, stone cold hands. Uh, Agnes vomits over the guilt. And Pete, somebody really spent some time going, what does parsley digested red velvet cake look like? Uh, and then they made what I'm going to assume is maybe a, uh, a smoothie that was freshly kind of frothy. So it could really be blah, 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 out um and uh that's all when rio says the tale is back because he wants to keep this plot moving yes gerardi clearly the marta cabrera of star trek picard here from knives out uh tangentially matt i once came home to my wife making red velvet cupcakes and uh it looks like blood in a bowl (laughs) Uh, uh, red velvet cake was, uh, my wedding cake, uh, which ties back to, I want to say fried green tomatoes, whatever the movie is or, uh, something, something. I don't know. There's, there, there's a movie with a bunch of female leads taking place in the South where they have a red oh, velvet cake. Steel Magnolias. Steel Magnolias. There you yes. go. I hope I haven't lost any, with um, the, um, with the armadillo cake. Yes. I hope I haven't cake. lost any cred with our. With our female listeners, I didn't have Steel Magnolias ready to go. I, 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 I apologize. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, Pete, from... Let's just look at these seamless transitions here, okay? From half-digested, frothy, vomited red velvet cake, <laughs> we go to Nepenthe where pizza is served. Yum, yum in the tum. With um, extra non-venomous bunny corn sausage for the wild girl of the woods. I'm a little surprised that the venom sack venomous bunny stuff that that was not any kind of setup maybe that's just me being a little uh you know kind of pessimistic in terms of oh we look for these clues and whatnot but it was just a it was just a thing to show space rabbit um now pete let's buckle up because i did not love this scene and let me tell you why and we i did. get talk about captain crandall the local nut uh, there's expositional uh, recap about where Soji wants to be headed home, home, a place with two moons and thunderstorms. We have Picard giving expositional recap about meeting Dodge. We have par- Picard recapping how he's haunted by his past and wants to make up for lost time. Um, and uh, how can we possibly find this place? Kestra texts Captain Crandall, who says it's in the Vite sector, Gullian system, a numbered planet without a name. Dun, dun, dun. Pete, what did you like about this scene? Matt. Listen to the timbre of my voice. Feel the fluctuations of my heart rate. Note the dilation of my pupils. This is Star Trek, the next generation, family, ready room, pizza dinner. All the warmth, all the feels. I will see your expositional 15-yard penalty flag, but... I believe it was you that via text said this is an okay episode wrapped in exceptional nostalgia. And that's the heart of this second best scene of the episode. I will mention to the episode's strength, I like seeing uh, Riker and Troy in their retired years. I know 
some of the same people who complained about Imzadi also complained about the the terrible the terrible shame that Riker must be the cook. And it's like, guys, it's for, first of all, it's 2020. A dude cooking is not this foreign thing. It's not 1950. Second of all, uh, he he is working on a on a wood pizza grill. So if that if that means something to you, uh, then maybe that somehow is more masculine? Question mark. Further, furthermore. They're retired, hanging out in the cabin from from the great outdoors. Can't the dude make a pizza now and then? Like, we need to relax with our, uh, I don't know, uh, wholly gendered view and wholly, you know, like 1950s era view that Star Trek must somehow feed into that it never did. But Pete, take us to La Serena because there's whispers about. There are. This is the scene here where uh, Rios tells gerardi that he suspects raffi is being tracked we of course know it's entirely the opposite um makes us again question what we've discussed about rios he was told by raffi about the sun uh he tells gerardi about how she's been acting mysterious you know piecing out to go to free cloud just as mysteriously coming back uh who'd she go there to see maybe the romulans uh but it's gerardi who says it's not raffi so what it's you you've been stuck on the la serena since we left earth it cannot be you hey 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 chris he's back i I buy that Rios might be re-examining the the quote-unquote convenience of this sob story of, oh, I went for my kid that you never heard of, and now my kid rejected me, so now I have to come back to you. Um, from his perspective, I totally agree. It now is a bit suspect, and now that there's a suspicious problem, um, you know, the fact that I think... Let me this way, Pete. It speaks to the strength of the season writing that we of course don't question any any bit i mean we but by virtue of the fact of having seen the interaction between rafi and her son but i don't think anybody's arguing oh that actually was a cover that actually was she, it was she was talking to a hologram like it was we saw the private pain there and that pays off now with us not uh being suspicious of her but understanding how rios is but as you say he's he's pulled away back up to the bridge area uh, Agnes, still guilt-ridden, ponders her next move. She uh, synthesizes neuranium hydrate. Uh, now, Pete, I know from my high school chemistry class uh, <laughs> that anytime you got the hydro in there, that's usually going to be uh, acidic of some sort, um, even though uh, you, you might say... instantly a better chemistry student than I was. I had the worst chemistry teacher in history, something that Matt's uh Matt's parents current next door neighbor could affirm um uh all I could say is Pete I'm I'm sorry you didn't have a good time in chemistry I actually did not do well in chemistry uh but I I suppose I learned a few things uh oxidation reduction and the fact that uh hydro suggests the presence of hydrogen that usually makes it acidic uh side note people might be saying what about uh di hydrogen oxide which is water um ask metal how acidic it is but i digress pete 
Did you know that norenium hydrate may have a neurotoxic effect for, I don't know, humans? Some uh, species, depending on it. And um, Agnes tells herself she can do this. She injects the hypo into her neck. Suddenly she's on the counter, the floor. She's foaming and seizing. And the EMH, because the emergency hospitality hologram would strangely not show up before, uh, he does show up. Uh, oh, bloody hell. I will excuse away the fact that the hospitality guy doesn't show up in that most of the time it appears that if there's not an, if there's not an overwhelming, let's say if there's not a medical emergency, if, if the passive sensors don't pick up, oh my goodness, blood spurting or drop in heart rate or whatever, then it requires, you know, uh, activate the EMH, that kind of thing. I would imagine it's the same thing for the hospitality guy that, you know, if there's some sort of thing there where you're like, oh no, Captain Picard is coming here and I haven't wrapped my gift, that it will somehow uh, sense that. But if you're just there having a good a good cry with your pal uh, and a little, little you know, little, little throw up that it's not a not a hospitality emergency. I don't know, Pete, but we cut to Narek uh, right after this scene in which she's given herself the hypo, by the way. It's probably clear, but I want to connect the two. He's trying to track. He's frustrated. He gives a Romulan curse. So we know that apparently the tracking has now ended. However, on La Serena's bridge, Rios does not know that as he ponders her, Pete. Yes, that possibly Raffi is the one. What what would you do to me? Shoot me out an airlock? Hope not. And then the EMH calls him to sickbay because Agnes is in a coma, prompting Rios to do the old fireman uh, slide down the steps there. Oh, I loved it. I wish I had the guts to do that. I guess you, you got to know your space as well. You know, you got to be up and down those stairs a whole bunch. And, you know, it's not something you just do, you know, on your, on your, you know, trip to your local college campus or something like that. But, oh boy, that was, Pete, that showed what a manly man he is and in a way a hologram. Um, back we go to the cube where Elnor sees randomly i think pete maybe you want to talk me off the ledge here but randomly he sees the fenris ranger calling card he presses the button sos initiated as he kind of takes it in his hand almost in prayer-like fashion and looks around from left to right as though he were the 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 waif from les miserables looking around for this is a cruel cruel world as we hear people bump up on the background and the honk honk of the horn and and it's just it's elnor versus the world so I guess Picard left this behind. He was given it by seven of nine. Picard. Absolutely. Yeah. Why is it in that room that Elnor goes to? Well, it, it's the queen cell. He went, he went back there. Um, but was he, that he, the queen? cell? I thought there yes. was a wide shot that showed him in like a corner alcove, not Borg alcove, like a, you know, like a, like a corner office on a, that was connected to a larger walkway as people were running around. It, it played to me that he's in the anti-chamber to it. Um, and again, he needs an XB. If only he had an XB, wait a minute, there's the little dog tag to call one. Fair enough. Time will tell, Pete. Let's go back to the fact that La Serena is almost at Nepenthe. Picard 
talking with Riker. It's the next morning. They're having some coffee slash tea. Uh, worried about this new crew. Uh, Riker and Picard end up sitting by the lake, reflecting on Riker being active reserve, something that our pal Ian in the UK, uh, Zort70, wonders if that's set up for the future. Um, although, of course, he'd have to have very good reason to ship out, Riker says. Uh, but Pete, why is Picard saving planets now, given his condition, second invocation of it? Uh, but to, Pete, does Riker feel that way? No business retiring is what he felt about Picard here, who admits he was right. He thanks his confidant, Will Riker, here for so many things, but especially for not trying to talk him out of this, as Riker notes, always a losing proposition. But hey, Matt, let's take us to Kestra drawing Soji. Yes, certainly uh, a scene that shows Kestra's uh, friendly affection for Soji. Uh, they tell each other that they will miss each other. Uh, the main thrust of the scene, though, Kestra noting that in her troubled times, she was helped by mom and dad. But for Soji, Picard could be that paternal person. Picard could have a, a daughter-like figure in his life, if only they could both have each other in that paternal childlike uh, uh relationship uh i dare say pete kester might be setting the table for oh i don't know a little mini story arc for these next three episodes i have to say here that lulu wilson as kestra you know we we floated before in previous episodes knowing that they were going to have a daughter the the rikers could the name be uh majel a uh, reference to uh, Majel Barrett, a, a nice way to, to make the name uh, canonical. The relationship, obviously, that Marina Sirtis had with Majel Barrett Roddenberry, um, the actress playing her on-screen mother. Could the name have been Loxana? Here they go with Kestra. Okay, but here's my one wish going forward, that where this show eventually goes clearly Kestra is going to cut her teeth at some point for Starfleet. I envision the end of this series long from now, Kestra, Soji, Starfleet, bridge of a ship named Enterprise. Let's make that happen. Kestra, uh, at least in universe, of course, named for Deanna Troy's uh, dead sister that we found out about in a uh, a late season next generation episode i tend not to like the revelation of the secret that you never knew uh and maybe that's kind of endemic of a you know late late in the show's run kind of oh we've run out of new ideas let's go for an old new idea but but ultimately pete i think that that's a better name origin something that's kind of an in-universe reference uh, and I mean, Loxana would have been as well, but I think that Loxana and Majel would have been a little too fan servicey, and maybe I'm certainly not saying that you can't name your kid after your mother, but I think that this makes a bit more sense, particularly if you're going to have Thad, you know, a Thaddeus Riker, na uh, uh, not Riker's father, not Will Riker's father, but a you know of the Riker uh, uh, ancestors, and if you're going to have an absent Thad, that's going to have a name from the past go for the go for the dead sister not the mom i think it i think it all makes better internal sense it's the best outcome 
for these two characters, Thad and Kestra. All of which brings us outside the Riker home here, where there are hugs between former crew members. Kestra asks them to wait and give Soji her compass, you know, so she can find her Ardani. Um, just have to pretend that it works. They hug, two to beam up, and then the episode perfectly lets this breathe as they head back into that uh, great outdoors home. I'll, I'll never be able to look at it the same now <laughs> with the next generation fanfare into the craggy mountains and moons above. Pete, tranquil as the ending was, we still have this incoming threat analysis. Let's start with the old sunglasses-wearing Commodore O. Oh, boy. And the vision that she gives or shares with Gerardi uh, may or may not include her. It goes by so quickly. Seems like she's wearing a hood. If you watch the preview like a normal person, unlike... Matthew Lafferty across from me here. Uh, you, you've perhaps seen a little bit more. Really, really looking forward to where this goes. Um, the whole thing with the mind meld. And every time we've seen it done, apart from an emergency situation, Spock, Star Trek II, I'm going to give you my Katra, Dr. McCoy, whole thing there. It's been consensual. And then it's not here and then it deals with seemingly this Romulan Jat Vash plot, I think is very much tying that back that she may not be a Vulcan. And I mean, add to it, add to it kind of this notion that, there, you know, there's this powerful mind meld and there's this powerful, uh, you know, emotional resonance given over to uh to dr gerardi all these images and whatnot i think it's suspect uh even if even if O is uh, is vulcan i think it's suspect to receive all of that and to kind of to process it whole hog to, you know kind of similar to a dream where you wake up and go oh my goodness it was there was in the empire state building as a pterodactyl and it feels so real um except unlike a dream this isn't going to fade away so you know, it's suspect for Gerardi to be given this package of terror and to do anything other than say, oh my goodness, yes, trillions. It would be terrible to kill Bruce. It would be terrible to deliver uh, Soji to you. But two versus a trillion, that's math that we can all agree is important. And I'm emotionally motivated to follow through because I've been fed this terrible thing. Well, O functions more so as the theoretical threat in this episode narissa is the actual threat we get the most of her we've had to this point physical acting on top of the emotional and peyton list really really delivers yeah i have to imagine for an actor you look at some of these scenes uh you know and probably at your best you know you want you know you want kind of a hamlet like reflective experience but second best is I'm the leather-wearing, gun-toting, mustache-twirling. Oh, you won't talk? Kill another. Oh, sit there and weep. Ha, ha, ha. I shall, 
you know, I shall ruin everything. I mean, she's just owning it as the, you know, if not literally black hatted, certainly the black wearing, you know, villain of, you know, that could appear in a Western, in sci-fi, in Roman times. Like it's, it's, she's equal opportunity baddie and just so, so good here. Really anticipating where she jumped to, where she beamed out to, how we'll catch back up with her in the story. And then, of course, her brother, Narek, who in this episode gets to sit in a cockpit and play with a toy. <laughs> um, Pete, we've seen him playing with one toy or another the entire series, but I digress. Um, I mean, yeah, he's, in many ways, he's the unseen threat in this episode. Yes, we see him. But by and large, his uh, his bad guy function is to stay on their tail um, and to also very clearly communicate harried. Wait, I suddenly can't find it, although I'm not going to have dialogue that says I can't find it because I'm going to trust the audience. Uh, then give the Romulan curse just to really say, hey, whatever Jurati did, it worked. Pete, on the long-range sensors, we have some theories to discuss. First one here, Pete, is Soji biting into the fruit of the garden, her first step into knowledge of true good and evil? Here, Ama emphasize truth, although, you know, other people might emphasize the actual knowledge of good and evil being the real thrust of the biblical story, but will she find truth with a capital T uh, after having bit into the fruit of the garden? Can definitely detect where Michael Chabon is more present in this teleplay uh, in this part. And uh, yeah, it's, it's simple symbolism, but it's really, really effective. Rios uh, surely will assume that the cake was poisoned. Hence Agnes is in a coma, right? Like we're going to continue to really pull out. The... I had not thought of that that's really good and further covers up the, the story tracks to me that scene was more about well remember Gerardi had disabled the emergency medical hologram when uh she was murdering bruce maddox hence the other one doesn't come on when she gets sick before the hospitality one that that uh, Raffi was calling for. So the whodunit on La Serena is set up in an interesting way. And now having reunited with Picard and Soji, this mystery deepening, uh, the direction that they have now clear headed into our eighth episode of 10 next week. Um, people have talked about the pacing in a negative way. I think this series has been paced out in a very thoughtful way. I would agree, particularly through the lens of this episode, given that uh, Commodore O's visit now feels sufficiently in the past where, you know, the, the reason for the mystery uh, we now fully understand because Agnes has done these terrible things. So to get the rest of that conversation, or rather, I don't know that we've gotten the entire thing, uh, at least as it's important to the narrative, but to get more of it, we've now had enough time to kind of stew over that and really kind of understand the fallout in the subsequent episodes. Similarly with the notion of the Romulan conspiracy, the Romulan question mark conspiracy, Romulan Federation conspiracy, um, 
this the, the reference in this episode to all these operatives across decades working in all these star systems it speaks to the possibility that the bad guys out there uh those evil romulans could also be you know whether O is a romulan or not the notion that it's in-house as much as out there um I think that was on the surface with a lot of the uh, Starfleet Command scenes from, what, about the third, fourth episode. But I think it's brought back to the forefront after having been a bit forgotten by we, the audience. Well, let's be clear. Eight, nine, ten. We're heading into the endgame for this season. This was the catch up with old friends, lay out the stakes episode here, take a breath. Uh, But now we know a trillion souls in the balance and i'm going to add a third into that uh federation romulan conspiracy matt there's a heavy borg connection um and that greatest threat of the next generation era carried into voyager again with the naysayers saying this is supposed to be next generation not voyager why so many voyager uh, callbacks because uh, it was the furthest set in the uh, TV timeline and uh, everything that comes with following up that universe. Voyager getting back, Seven of Nine, prominent, uh, now in the Alpha Quadrant, uh, this Borg cube, all of that. So let's talk about the mind meld vision and what we can specifically see. Uh, Pete, I, again, I will excuse the show for reusing some planet destruction footage from uh, Discovery. Can we start at this point that that footage is meant to just be general planet destruction and not a direct tie-in to the season two threat of Discovery? I did not note Discovery footage. What I saw of two frames of explosions of a planet. Um, One kind of looking like they swapped out some of the Mars flashback for another planet, Um, you know, on the, uh, on the atmosphere, the second of a gigantic explosion on a particular point of a planet, but those aren't even the most evocative shots. Uh, What are the most evocative shots for you? The first is of a hooded woman. It appears to be, oh, uh, wearing a black hood. Um, Next, we have what I believe to be Nerissa placing a disruptor to her head and firing it. I I certainly appreciate that that the footage is shown so quickly. Um, And I think it's kind of almost... It's almost meant to go back and look at frame by frame. Of course, frustratingly, uh, on uh, the website version of All Access, it's <laughs> it's very difficult to pause because whenever you do that, you lose the footage. But and there's a delay as yeah. well when you hit it. I've been watching on my uh, iPad, and and that's optimally, and I use that loosely. Uh, the the best chance that I have, particularly when I'm taking notes and watching an episode. There's also a cityscape that is struck uh, by what appears to be a red uh, shockwave. 
and uh, all of these images producing again that effect in Gerardi, causing her to lose her lunch. Um, so portend of what's to come. Yeah, and I think if nothing else, it gives us the it gives us the stakes here. It gives us you know just that kind of emotional idea of that worst case scenario i think even pete it might give some refuge if i'm wrong in the commodore o is a romulan theory and if she indeed is vulcan the images that she showed gerardi are are dire enough that it is a logical choice to go to extremes it is a logical choice to maybe work outside of uh, the structure of Starfleet to do black ops that the Federation uh, Council doesn't know about and so forth, if it really is your classic needs of the many instead of the needs of the few. Well, it's it's got to tie into this Jot Vosh, thousands upon thousands of years uh, loathing conspiracy that I'm sure we're going to learn about in the next episode. You had noted before, Matt, as uh, Rafi is attempting to hack the artifact traffic control she seems to stumble upon uh images of the drawings the borg disordered had done and uh seemed to be a lot of uh interlocking circles looks very reminiscent of the necklace that soji is wearing you gotta wonder was the further breakthrough done by Bruce Maddox uh, with some kind of Borg technology. Data was experimented on by the Borg. Again, this nexus, not uh, time-energy-ribbon nexus, um, all coming together here. My worry is that next week on the previously on Star Trek Picard that we're going to get Rafi looking at those circles intercut with dialogue from, you know, kind of the, the cuckoo's nest scene of like, and this isn't obviously literal dialogue, but like these former Borg, they draw these weird things like that. It might have within the body of this episode, it might've been so kind of expertly hidden. And then before the episode before the narrative next week starts, and we're doing previously on that, it's going to completely go, this is a thing. And now we're going to do a thing. Uh, with it in this episode and that narratively that'll that'll upset the apple cart a bit pete frankly that's why i usually also skip the previously on um just because i want to i want to dive on into the deep end of the pool nice and nice and fresh we have chided shows in general about their credit sequences and spoiling surprises and you did have to really try hard to not know this was the Riker episode, but help me understand this, Matt. Jonathan Frakes, given guest starring, no mention of Marina Surtees in the credit sequence. What's up with that? Uh, I was somewhat joking before about you know her being given the the, the scenes where she wags a finger at the mighty Picard. I will now uh, unjokingly double down on that. Marina Sirtis, very public in saying, A, I will not pay for some of this new Star Trek Discovery stuff. Pay for a streamer? That's ridiculous. B, that is not real Star Trek. The only real Star Trek ever made was the original series and Next Generation. Um, this may well have been a situation, you know, when it comes down to 
you know, beyond, you know, what's, what's good for the show, what's good for the, the product this may well have come down to somebody from CBS slash Star Trek incorporated Star Trek as the, as the business end, saying, uh, we will give you the rate you ask for. We will give you a 10% premium because you're coming back. We will give you a, a, a extra money on top of that to fly from London to LA you're not getting the title sequence one iota because now Star Trek barks back. Uh, it, it it may have been that. Sometimes that's how Hollywood works. Sometimes it's not. They canceled my show because the ratings were down and you simply cannot make money off of it. Sometimes it's ego versus ego. And guess what, Pete? The producers, the studios, the IP holders, they usually win because they got the big guns. I'm not going to deny that that could be the case, but I have a really, really hard time believing that. Um, I, I found it very, very interesting. Her name did not appear. Let's talk about Troy as a character here for a couple minutes, Matt. Um, she lost Thad. She previously, in season two of The Next Generation, in the episode The Child, lost Ian Andrew. Um quite a bit of tragedy now in this particular character's backstory. And I'll add to that, I think at a much lower level, but I think that one that one that could inform the character, the notion that she, and of course Riker kind of searched for love for much of their life. And I know that this is Star Trek, so it's longer lifespans and, you know, you can have a child later in life and so on and so forth. But what must it be like for this character of Troy, as you say, Pete, to have uh, to have lost two children along the way um, and to kind of have to be from the society where everyone's open to your emotions and your feelings and to have to have spent a good chunk of life with the person you were meant to marry with your Imzadi, uh, but then denying yourself that or the other person denying, you know, like they kind of mutually, you know, we're not on the same page for most of Next Generation. Uh, although, side note, and I don't mean this as a joke, I, I suspect that maybe they were visiting each other's cabins for emotional and physical support from time to time. But the heartbreak there, uh, I, I can't quite imagine what that's like. Um, but I think that you see that sadness in, you know, when she is kind of a bit cold with Soji, when she is reflecting about Thad with Picard, it, it, it's it's the mother's heartbreak. It's the notion that so much good has been done in this life, but but major pieces are missing. Their backstory obviously informs the planet that they've gone to Nepenthe with the regenerative soil, hoping for a uh, homeopathic cure as opposed to a scientific one, one that was banned, the further damage that this synth ban has done. Data and his technology would have saved their son, so they've got a vested interest in uh Soji, I mean, heaven forbid, Kestra as the sister that it's hereditary, um, that she would have it as well. But Nepenthe, this is a shout out to the Odyssey, Matt, Homer's Odyssey. Uh, that is a drug that uh, banishes grief or trouble from a person's mind. I think thus then a very well-named uh, planet uh, I'll add to all that analysis the the little line, but the one that I think is meant to uh, very ably address why we're now not going to have Riker and Troy join the mission, which is this notion that there is Kestra and whatever trouble is following Picard, he kind of needs to move on 
as soon as possible so so more trouble more loss does not come to Riker and Troy in terms of losing another child if that's going to be your quote-unquote story excuse to not have them do more than the one episode I mean my goodness your heart your heart breaks for these characters and you can understand why all right awesome thanks for the visit please leave before we lose more on heartbreaking Matt Hugh now joins Egypt Granted, we've known Hugh a little bit more, and I would dare say more dear to our heart. Uh, follow the bouncing ball, though. Ichib, Hugh, any other XBs we really care about that potentially might be in crosshairs in future episodes? Well, Pete, I haven't watched the preview, but I do know that there was a former Borg character on Star Trek The Voyager, who I who I believe was the same one that returned a few episodes ago. Um, and though it might appear that she was killed off uh, off screen, I think she may have survived and is still a Fenris Ranger and might be coming to save the day. So, I look. I mean, I think the 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 heartbreak over each being killed it's mostly coming from people who are like how dare the each actor be told it's naughty to sexually harass women and make jokes about sexual assault etc so a lot of that not concerned for each let's put it that way it's concerned about oh no the rules are changing and now i need to act like a gentleman around women in the real world and in star trek oh no uh the hue death to me was unnecessary we'll see what the after effects are um you know i feel the show did not treat the character with the proper reverence by killing him off how they did you know a character who appeared in two episodes so it's not the biggest story threat of all time if however in retrospect in constructing the season the show has said you got each and we took him away and you got Hugh for a little longer and you took him away now let's really be worried about Seven of Nine, a character that we all really do care about for a variety of reasons. That is a good, that's a good uh, place to end up on if we're now raw from the death of Hugh. Uh, Jonathan Del Arco's return to this role, uh, really, really heartfelt. He made a video that he shared on social media uh, from immediately after he had filmed the scene and he's out of the makeup uh, and shared it Thursday, Friday, as the episode was was streaming worldwide. Um, his death does matter. His death is a fulcrum here. This situation on this Borg artifact is tenuous at best and it needed to happen. His sacrifice was necessary. Again, the, the shock that they'd kill him off furthers the story. Yeah, and I'll just mention as a, as, a, as a postscript, it's interesting to live in this world of social media where, you know, he made that video or uh, I know the um, Issa Brignones had, uh, you know, uh, posted on Instagram how Michael Dorn and LeVar Burton came to visit on the, the day that they were filming uh, the, the, the Riker Homestead scenes. And of course, you know, these things posted to social media months and months and months later and revealed for the first time publicly months and months later. It feels concurrent, but it's not. It's just interesting. 
whether it's you know a PR person putting the thought in their ear or it's them doing it independently and knowing they're going to get in trouble if they post early. It's interesting to live in this world of these captured memories that you only release when when the product is ready, that kind of thing. Yeah, and we all know that Matt is bent because his favorite character is Jordy, and he wanted the big Hugh Jordy reunion. Pete, give me my Jordy Star Trek short trek. Give me my Captain LaForge. It doesn't need to be ten episodes. Give me Captain LaForge. You know, two, three episodes, whatever it is. Uh, I, I say bring back Lavar Burton. Is the unseen but conspicuous in this episode Captain uh, Crandall, Rupert Crandall, Q? That would be super fun. Uh, he would appear, I mean, he could, by virtue of the Q powers, appear older than Picard. Uh, he would also be literally, the character of Q is older than Picard. Uh, I doubt John Delancey is literally older than Picard, but with all much uh, love and rever reverence to all these actors, they're all reaching a point where they're all, you know, there's 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 white on the head, there's white in the beard, etc. Um, we have to do something with Captain Crandall. Captain Crandall as this mysterious rascal who's a loser and can't possibly help out and full of baloney. It's got to be the opposite. And what's more opposite than Q? I love it. And giving the location of the planet, texting at the table is Kestra, which is apparently still going to be a thing. Uh, you know, family dinners uh, from now. And this reference of the broken down ship that he has, the inside straight I just think it would be too perfect for it not to be Q. I kind of love the idea of Q hanging out at a distance from some of his uh, his Enterprise quote-unquote friends. And I mean, heck, for all we know, Captain Crandall is spending Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at uh, you know on Nepenthe, and Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays there he is, uh, you know, on the Klingon homeworld as you know you know, Captain Crotdal and he's the, the <laughs> Romulan, uh, pardon me, the Klingon version of, of John Delancey. And he's hanging out there going, Oh, Worf, let's have more blood wine. Um, There's your next short track, Matt. Yes. I mean, it, I, as I, as I said before, this is an episode that relies heavily on nostalgia. And I think for good reasons, maybe there's some story, story sins that are hidden by the nostalgia. But my goodness, wouldn't you love a Q one shot to see what he's been up to and just see what rascally things he's been doing over these years? It would be it would be great fun. We'd be remiss if we did not look closely, Matt, at the La Serena. We've talked about the potential theory that Captain Chris Rios is instead the emergency captain command hologram, a device fell off. Uh, the space ottoman or the uh, the the counter up in that bridge area uh, later picked up in the episode intentional is that some form of mobile emitter well I mean maybe given that given that I think that this is a viable theory and given that it's as easy as a mobile emitter. Uh, all it takes is that to get a, a hologram beamed down to the surface. Um, we saw it in Voyager many, many times. Um, I just continue to like 
A, I like this theory on its merits, and B, I like that part of what one does in a modern TV series is to have some of those have some of those cat and mouse games with the audience. And I think that, you know, I think I hope for that big reveal in 109, 110, somewhere in there, to just give one more one more twist, one more notion of rewatchability. Uh, all of these things are, I think, real considerations that need to go into shows that are going to have a loyal audience, shows that are going to ask for a rewatch, shows that are going to try and meet that highest level of quality, whether it's, you know, production design of the belts in Game of Thrones. And you go, oh, my goodness, there's a through line on, you know, on, on, on the philosophy of these people uh, or Secrets in Westworld or Star Trek kind of somewhere in the middle of this is all real, but look for look for twists and turns, because what we're not doing is bottle episodes that deliver a problem and solve it at the end of the episode. With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Let us start, Pete, as we so oftentimes do with our Twitter poll. Uh, one star SOS got 2.6%, which you're just full of baloney if you think this was a one star episode. Uh, two stars Shields Up, 2.6%. Three stars I Feel Your Love, 0%. And four stars Old Friends, 94.9%. Pete, I'm going to go ahead and call that 95% because the person who gave it a one star vote is clearly crazy. So 95% of voters giving it four stars uh some comments here first one up from sarcastic canadian that's hard luck t jason honestly deaths just for the sake of deaths or to inspire to hero suck uh there's been four deaths so far one was to inspire seven one so far appears pointless that of hugh uh mike Sorensen responding to that saying the counterpoint is that stories require stakes Characters surviving just for the sake of keeping them around means there's never anything at risk. If they don't kill off a Hugh or Echeb level character, then there's certainly the bigger, uh, then there's a certainty that the bigger guys are safe. Risks are better stories. So Pete, where do you land on the body count of this series, uh, tempering the fact that we're probably not going to kill off Picard midway through the season? As I frequently am, I find myself team Mike Sorensen here. Uh, absolutely with the stakes uh, you you can't kill off uh, regulars. You've got to kill off recurring characters. Where does Hugh's story really go from here? Apart from, sure, we'd all like him to uh, interact with Jordy. Just think about what that might give if we're going to see Jordy to have him find out to hear from Picard. Hey, Hugh didn't make it. Uh, some more tweets here. First one from Jamie Piper. I cried all... That's at Jam Piper. Uh, I cried all the way through the episode. So amazing. Seeing Riker and Troy and uh, emotional convers every emotional conversation has blown my mind. It's everything I wanted and more. It's like my past uh, has given me a great big hug. Uh, tweet here from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. I love how willing they are to pick different tones for different episodes than deliver on that. Everyone was delightful. Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis, Lulu Wilson, and Jonathan Del Arco turning in tremendous guest performances. The show was a delight. A bit later, Pete JT sent, uh, he tweeted a picture. He with uh, uh, hair, rather rather uh, vertical, uh, <laughs> darker hair, uh, and a, a mostly white beard. Uh, him standing next to the TV of Riker doing the exact same thing. And he says, uh, also, this is a life-changing realization. 
uh, that he can now finally cosplay as uh, as Riker. So there you go. You throw on the apron, put a little bit of flour on there. You go to your next convention that is not canceled due to the coronavirus threat, and you are Pizza Chef Riker. Uh, make it so. All I would add to that costume, Pete, he needs to get one of those painter's palettes, okay? Yes. You know, that has like the thumb hole. Yes. Paint a pizza on it yes. or, you know, glue one on, glue yep. a plastic pizza on, and there you go. Let's take um, a picture. <laughs> absolutely. Um, we have a tweet from Picard on TV Podcast Industries. That's at uh, TV Pod Industries. A magnificent episode. Marina Sirtis has never been better, and she's been great before. Picard has given us so much this season so far, but it was another standout episode. Uh, that echoed by Alien 2 Seth. That's at the real Alien 2, T-W-O. I've said this three weeks in a row. Best episode yet. And lastly, from the Twitter machine, Pete, uh, Aria West of Westeros. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. Keeps getting better. Great to see someone call out Picard for his behavior. I was hoping that would happen once he got around people who really know him. As only former members of his crew could. You know, Matt, I reflected quite a bit as I'm watching this episode. I think it was 2012. You and I are in the Cherry Hill, New Jersey Marriott. We're in a room twice the size of our podcast studio uh, in the front row with Marina Surtees and Jonathan Frakes. And never in a million years would it have occurred to me that this would ultimately uh, happen, that they would return, that we could get this. So just further evidence that this show is a gift. Pete, let's check some emails here. First one up from Frank J. Chick, who says as follows. Good evening. I'm a longtime fan, and I've long considered your podcast the preeminent example out there. Uh, Picard's inaugural dream sequence with Data's five queens has yet to be explained. Uh, in my humble opinion, it's reminiscent of uh, two scenarios. Uh, TNG's cause and effect and Data's choice on Riker's plan with the time loop. Uh, a naughty Federation Commodore has five silver pins. Uh, and in Voyager Endgame 1 and 2, with perhaps five, time, uh, five of the six Borg queens surviving after the genocidal Captain Janeway's destruction of the Borg interspatial hub. The whole basis so far for Season 1 appears to be a Vulcan, Federation, Romulan conspiracy to carry out the attack on Mars and therefore ensure the banning of synthetics. Pete, I'll pause Frank's words to say I hadn't quite thought of it through the lens of perhaps not the Federation and more Vulcan-Romulan connection there. Anyhow, back to Frank. Uh, however, the concept of shackled demons has yet to be elaborated on. With regard to the production, it appears that there is an intention to tie up loose ends from Voyager, TNG, and Nemesis to establish the background of the 2386 supernova uh, on the Romulus uh, system sun away from the J.J. Adrams uh, films. Uh, Frank gives a little bit of a timeline here and says, looking back on earlier connections, the concept of an ancient progenitor race with links to androids is examined in the original series, Return to Tomorrow. Here, Spock admitted the revelation of an ancient progenitor race uh, seeding planets 500,000 years uh, ago uh, that could address the problems of the Vulcans' knowledge of their prehistory. So, Pete Frank, basically noting this idea that we have had uh, we've had androids or, or similar uh, creatures going way, way back in the Star Trek timeline, he says successive generations of androids 
could have created organic self-replicating life forms. And then, Pete, if that's not enough, Frank throws in the possibility that for season two, maybe that Sakaran spatial trajector could split uh, travel between the Alpha and Delta quadrants. Uh, now, uh, with the possible prospect of Borg infiltrating become, uh, infiltration becoming a ground war. So what do you make of all of that, Pete? I mean, it's a really, really thoughtful uh, theory. Thank you for the, the compliment, Frank. Um, this this loathing that the Jatvash have, this secret that we were told about very, very early on in the series, it, it's all there in one way, shape, or form. How, ch- how deep they choose to dive with it remains to be seen. Uh, does, it, does it break the universe or the Romulans somehow messed around with AI? It resulted in the creation of the Borg. Hence, these only ever um, assimilated Romulans. Um, so you assimilate the people who made you who may or may not have some Android connection themselves does not compute. They are disordered circles within circles. I think that's where we're headed. Pete, we had two emails from Paula. One was to point out that USA today has called uh, star Trek Picard, the fifth best new show of 2020 so far. Uh, I will link uh, to that article in the, uh, in the podcast description in the show notes. Uh, but uh, more centrally, Paula says as follows, In uh, honor of the untimely passing of Hugh, I decided to take another look at the TNG episode I Borg. Might I say I was quite surprised by much of what was uh, in it, especially because Star Trek Picard has been criticized for being too dark in tone. For one, Beverly was the only crew member who was willing to show compassion to the injured teenage Borg. Picard comes around reluctantly, uh, but will only allow him on the ship if locked up in a detention cell. Worf was of a mind of the thing to do was to kill it now, but Picard and the others decide to weaponize the young Borg, sending him back to his cube with an invasive computer chip program inserted in him that would quickly spread to the others. Ouch. Picard did have to come up with more than one justification for taking this tack. However, it all boiled down to his assertion that, and I quote, it's not a good, it's not a person, damn it. Wait, did I hear the captain of the Enterprise, our very own Jean-Luc Picard, use a swear word? Well, hmm. There's lots of them in uh, Una McCormick's novel, including one Romulan, and Bruce Maddock lets one go that will kill your hair. Oh, and it wasn't Picard who named Hugh, but Geordi. Somebody misremembered. At least Elron chose to live. Pete, that from Paula. Yeah, and I had rewatched the episode before Picard began, and the thing that struck me too that she doesn't mention, you know, you have Crusher as the the conscience in the in the classic Star Trek mold, particularly as the doctor do no harm to a patient, uh, convincing others, but then later uh, Guinan's involvement. And the shared history that Guinan and Picard have with one another, and then in terms of their different experiences with the Borg. So really a classic episode. And now I think in terms of Hugh's legacy, very, very firmly uh, cemented uh, what it means that he was a member of the collective, that he was sent back as this Trojan horse 
to cause change, that he did break free of it, that ultimately he helped others who had broken free, and now he's given his, his life and sacrifice to free others. Pete, you talk about legacy characters, whether it's ones brought over from TNG like Hugh, whether you talk about Frakes and Sirtis returning. How about a podcast legacy character? I'm talking about Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 7. I want to shout, rape, rape, mental rape. This all really violated, I think, Dr. Jurati. I don't understand why Agnes is such an uncertain person, so jittery and... Oh, yeah, uh, Commander O, of course she is intimidating, but nevertheless, Agnes is a director of a research program. She is just so, oh, am I in trouble, etc., etc. I, I don't find it fitting. Or it's just her character that she is like this. On the other hand, she kills Maddox, and you have to be brave to do something like that. So, I find that a little inconsistent. On the other hand, brave is perhaps not the right word, because she also could be desperate, if you see what she sees here during this mind melt. Next question is, where do these images come from? Is that just images in O's sick imagination? Or are it things that have happened and she is a kind of time traveler trying to prevent these things to happen? What are the things I liked in this episode? Well, to start with, actually, Lulu Wilson, the girl that plays Kestra. I didn't recognize her first, but she is playing young Shirley in The Hunting of Hill House, which I watched very thoroughly because I gave feedback for a podcast about that show. When she filmed this role as Kestra in Star Trek Picard, she was, I think, 14. She still is at the moment. And she does an amazing acting, I think. Almost as good, or perhaps even as good, as Millie Bobby Brown in Stranger Things, which also was very, very amazing at that age. But I think that was a little younger. But nevertheless, her interaction with Soji was very, very nice. And I think in this Troy Riker family, there are some people who can really tell the truth. Diana, as well as Will, as well as this Kestra. They both did a good job, Diana and Will, in getting Picard more or less understand in which position he is with this young girl, Soji. Very nice that we get the head tilt even mentioned here. Will is not a dumb guy and gets everything right here. I really wonder if we will see them back in this season or perhaps even in the next season. Awful, of course, that Nerissa killed you. He became such a nice and loving person, as you see when he greets, for instance, Picard and what he does for Picard. But the badassness of Nerissa is top shelf. Okay, many more topics to discuss, but time's more or less up. Greetings till next time, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, Fred, uh, concerned for Agnes as a character in terms of that 
uh, invasive uh, move made there by O. Uh, I, I must confess, I hadn't quite looked at it through the light of of rape or assault, but I think that if we're going to use sci-fi as a metaphor, I think that Fred's not off base. Not at all. And again, I, I mentioned the, the non-consensual nature of it. I'm sure it's seeding for future story. Um, so I have no doubt it's going to be explained. Fred also floating the idea, what if O is a time traveler, something that I don't believe we've discussed at all. Uh, I like it as a theory. What is your thought? We've had reference made on the artifact to uh, chroniton particles. We know that the Borg have traveled back in time in previous uh, incarnations. Uh, whether it's happening here, whether that's the connection remains to be seen. It's certainly a possibility. What if O is old Narissa? Oh, that's not something I'd considered at all. Because who has the only person O has shared the conspiracy with is Narissa, right? Yeah. So maybe there's that. Wow. Yeah. That would definitely blow your mind. Fred just put us into turbo boost here. Uh, lastly, Pete, will, will Riker return? If only he was an active reserve duty and has already directed uh, two episodes of this season, surely going to be slated for season two. I think it's just a matter of time. Well, Pete, our active reservists are, of course, the people who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, help make sure that our ship is able to warp. Uh, could be little jumps so that uh, the bad guys can overshoot us or could be longer hauls all the way to Nepenthe. And of course, for that portion of the crew, we give our thanks. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, more there all the time, and uh, certainly can't do this without you. You go to uh, patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Takes just a dollar to get you in that door per month. Infinitely helps us. Can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Takes a second. Uh, leave us a review. Takes a little bit longer. And you help us just as much get the word out about uh, Fantastic Geek. All sorts of goodies there. But of course, the best Pete is a freebie that's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,251 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there is more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, looking ahead to the old podcast schedule on our Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be talking Godfriend Me, episode 216 on Monday. And if you're here for Picard, we'll be back next Sunday. Pete on Pi Day. 3.14 uh i guess unless you're outside the united states and that's 14.3 but uh math what can i tell you variables etc uh to talk picard episode 108 with that pete i will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word not bad for a pizza chef <laughs> <laughs>